step right up and gather around. Tall folks, kindly at the back, please. I am Professor Gruntsplatter, and I'm the curator of this here spookatorium. Through these doors are wonders and horrors, maybe even a laugh or two. From the dark corners on every street today, all back through recorded time. We'll hear music and tales of the unknown, mysterious, and perhaps even diabolical. That's right, folks. There are strange things beyond this threshold. But if you weren't curious, you wouldn't be here. So, will you take a chance and come on in? Or will you saddle up to the concession stand and always wonder what you may have missed? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Professor Grunsplatter's Spookatorium. There will be no refunds once you enter. Thank you for your attention, and the brave ones, come with me.
Greetings. Once again, it is episode 24 of Professor Gruntsblatter's Spookatorium. I am Professor Gruntsblatter. Uh, it's been a while since I did a show. I've been bouncing in between computers. Got a new system. was just about to transfer everything over and get it all set up, and it crapped out on me. So I'm back on the old system where my recording stuff is for now. Um, uh, hopefully I will have a new system up and running again soon. And uh, got a new recording program, so hopefully everything will sound better um, as soon as all of that is squared away. Opening the show up today was Mash and Zimmer 412 with Fire. Following that was Clock DVA with Psycom. And the last track you heard there was Tattoo from Susie and the Banshees. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of new information up on the site, uh, but um, there was a story up there about some. Uh, guys from Texas, some young men, some strapping young men from Texas, who uh, in their infinite wisdom decided to dig up the corpse of a long dead child from a Texas cemetery and use the skull of the child as a bong. I'm not sure quite how they figured that out. Um, That seems like the mechanics would be somewhat 
beyond the sort of mentality that is suggested by their action, but you never know. Um, they were caught, and actually they were caught on another crime, and while they were being interrogated, it came out that they had, you know, decapitated this corpse and smoked dope out of its head. The evolution of that conversation would have been interesting for sure. Um, so anyway, there's an article up there about that, but other than that, that's about it. I hope to get things back on track here shortly. I don't think that the uh, when I do get a new computer, I, I should be able to get up and running fairly quickly. Part of the issue was with the new computer I bought that died, uh, my recording program wouldn't work with Vista. So I've upgraded that considerably, and so I should be able to just throw that in and get moving on things again. Um, I apologize for the delay. Uh, hopefully some of you are still listening to the show, and I guess that's it for now. Here, in the cobwebbed corridors of the library of curios and oddities, the relics and tomes of imagination and secret knowledge await your inspection. I am thrilled to be able to have some follow-up on this story. In episode 19, I covered a supposed tome called Oregor, and the legend that the book had the ability to drive those who read it insane. I did some digging, and at that point came to the conclusion, based on what I was able to find, that it seemed like little more than a marketing campaign for a piece of fiction that was striving to be the next Necronomicon. Two weeks ago, I got an email with some additional information on the matter from a Charles in Denmark. Charles, I really appreciate you taking the time to send this along. I actually just saw your email a couple days ago due to the computer issues that I mentioned earlier in the show, but I will be in touch. Uh, his email states in part, quote, I can tell you that we in Denmark do know a long tradition of this hellish tome, which I do not think is in English at all. The photo on the Evil Book website is just a representation, I think. It is German and is called something like Oregar Verdict. Barton. And on the Danish Wikipedia site, the legend is thoroughly dealt with, though still the book is referred to by its English title. It's true that a Danish writer has taken up the legend and written a very eerie horror novel indeed, based on, I think, a newspaper story found in some Danish papers that a copy of the book had turned up to be scrutinized in an English psychiatric research hospital. We do not have parapsychological studies in Scandinavia apart from in Sweden. I have read the Danish novel and have, to the best of my ability, translated the synopsis at the back of the novel into your language and attached it to this mail. So really, I think there is some truth to it, but even if the story only exists in the mind of the writer, I think it is worthwhile. Keep up your good work. Uh, the translation from the back of the book he included reads as follows. Quote, The most horrifying book ever written. According to a persistent legend, a deadly tome was published in 1732. Its name was Oregor, the one who waits. But to the common people, the book was better known as the prophecy of Oregor, and whispered of as the most horrifying book ever written. It dealt with the future of mankind in a terrible millennium ruled by Antichrist. Uh, most people were paralyzed with fear after having just read a few pages, and adventuring further, 
Utter and incurable madness fell upon the poor individuals. Today, however, little or nothing is heard of this blasphemous folio chronicle. But now a diary has turned up. It has been left by an old psychotic patient, now transferred to a new and well-reputed research hospital in the southwest of England. The manuscript is written in the last hours before death and reveals how the man, as a young lad, accidentally found a hidden copy of this hellish work. Day by day, the diary describes his last days while still sane before the total mental darkness closed upon him too. This quite disturbing evidence is handed over to a special hospital department engaged in psychical research and the chief psychiatrist happening to, happening to be a trained parapsychologist too takes a strong interest in the matter. By sheer coincidence, he d actually does succeed in tracking down a preserved copy of the lethal folio. Despite his totally professional approach, any scrutinizing of the text is followed by weird and inexplicable incidents exactly matching the prophecies of the old grimoire. Desperately, the psychiatrist turns to the English Catholic Church for help, but the clergy is also struck by incurable mental disorder. The enigma entirely defies anything that science and belief have ever been up against. Only when taking the most recent digital technology into use, the leading researchers of the hospital get some understanding of how and why this old book is capable of distorting the mind while destroying body and soul. But will this knowledge alter the prophecy of Oregor? Read this truly eerie account of the book that makes you go insane. So that is from the back panel of the fictional novel uh, about the legend of the book. Uh, so it seems that uh, the legend apparently does have some basis in cultural mythology, if not reality. And perhaps what I did find was in regards to the novel and was a marketing campaign, but there's apparently something more to it. Um, I'm going to research this one further because I was quite convinced the whole thing was a fraud uh, the first time I looked at it. Uh, I'm not convinced otherwise yet, but I am interested enough that I'm going to keep digging and I'd have done more research before updating the story, but it's been so long since I've done a show that I wanted to get this out, and we'll follow up as I find anything new. Charles, thanks again for contributing your insight, and everyone else, stay tuned, and let's see where this one goes.
That was the Tiger Lilies with Banging in the Nails. Uh, before that was House Arafna with The Way You Go. Uh, previous to that was the uh, video edit of The Machine from Dead World. And opening that setup was Let Thirst the Soil from Ludicra. Uh, now is a good a time as any to say if you have heard your song on the show and you do not want your song on the show, please let me know and I will remove it. Uh, to get in touch, uh, the website address is spookatorium.org. The email address is professor at spookatorium.org. Uh, as always, if you've got any interesting stories or uh, any sort of opinions or follow-up on anything that you've heard, please let us know. Mind your fingers and toes as we step to the carousel of cryptids and creeping things that lurk in the shadows of history and along the back roads that stitch your neighborhoods together. In April of 1817, a beast was spotted in Lake Pepin, Minnesota. The dragon-like beast with hypnotic red eyes and a demon-like head allegedly also had an impact on the Dakota Indians that had settled the area. It's not clear um, from the article that I found uh, what demons they reviewed in making the declaration that the head was demon-like, but they're reporters, so I'll take their word for it. Uh, The legends suggest that the Dakotas had used birch bark canoes, uh, but when traveling on Lake Pepin, they opted for dugout canoes because they could better withstand the impact of a meeting with this creature that has come to be known as, uh, can you guess, Lake Pepin, a sea monster. It's come to be known as Peppy. Uh, sightings of the creature have popped up since then, with descriptions ranging from uh, it being black as night uh, by a 14-year-old witness in 1983 Uh, to a witness just about three or four years ago that described it as greenish-yellow. The average depth of the lake is just 28 feet, and at its deepest, it's only about 70 feet. And for a creature reported to be in excess of 20 feet long, with as many as three visible humps when it's swimming, to exist in those conditions for that long seems unlikely. Uh, The dimensions of Lake Pepin are, are similar to Loch Ness in that they're both very long, narrow lakes, Uh, However, Loch Ness is over 750 feet deep. Uh, Now a local man, uh, Larry Nielsen, is offering up $50,000 for evidence that the Lake Pepin monster uh, exists, uh, and he believes that he himself has also seen it. Larry also runs a large paddle boat on the waters of Lake Pepin, so not only is he out there every day, he also has a distinct interest in enticing people to the area to perhaps get out on the lake perhaps even on his paddle boat, to search for the creature. An opportunist does not a liar make, and his is not the only sighting reported, but the news coverage, however, was sparked by his reward for evidence. And of all the supposed witnesses, uh, the one whose business is ferrying people around the lake certainly casts some doubt in my mind about his sincerity. On another note, uh, a less commercial and more interesting story that seems to be coming out of Pennsylvania over the last year or so. Uh, In June or July of 2007, the director of the Paranormal Society of Pennsylvania took a report on an unusual 
giant bird-like creature. Uh, the witness requested anonymity. The Paranormal Society believes him to be credible. Uh, the details and reasoning of that were not reported uh, in Cryptomundo, what it was that they felt made him credible, but uh, that he was pumping gas at uh, 1.30 in the morning near the town of Granite Run. And from a nearby rooftop, the man saw what he described as a dark shadow about four feet tall in a hunched posture with wings extended above its head. Now, the report states that it didn't have feathers. It didn't seem to be a bird, though how it could be determined whether there were feathers or not at 1.30 in the morning from a distance, I'm not clear, but he felt the creature was watching him. And the man left, and he returned a brief time later, and at this point he reported hearing the whooshing of the wings and saw the creature perching on another nearby building. Uh, the man left the area, scared by what he had seen, and, and that's where that report ends. But then there was another report uh, out of West Virginia in late September or early October, not far from the Pennsylvania border, uh, taken by Stan Gordon of the Paranormal News. Um, the witness was driving a two-lane road near Kalendinen at 8 in the morning. He was forced to slam on his brakes to avoid hitting a large creature in the road that was picking at a roadkill. The witness described the beast as a bird that stood four feet tall, whose head was higher than the top of his car. Uh, he claimed that it had black or brown feathers, a long beak, dark eyes. The head was very prominent, but not oversized. Uh, the chest was muscular and the wings, and this is what I, is most interesting to me, the wings appeared to be attached more like there was a shoulder there than if there was than than you would see in a typical bird. Um, he said that the the remark most remarkable thing was the wingspan, which he said filled the two lane road. Uh, after the incident, he returned and, and measured the width of the road, and it came out to about 21 feet. Following this, there was an additional sighting, uh, again reported to the the Paranormal Society in February of 2008 outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, the witness was driving when he spotted a large bird appear over the trees and described it as hovering over his truck, although he was driving at, at 35 to 40 miles an hour. Uh, he claims the shadow of the creature was large enough to basically cover his entire vehicle. Um, the witness was an avid hunter and he pulled over to see what it was but it had returned uh, towards the tree line and he wasn't able to get a, a real strong view of it beyond judging it not to be like any bird he'd seen um, in all of his years hunting out in the woods. And finally, there's, there's yet another sighting that was reported in May of 2008, May 20th, in Washington County, Pennsylvania. Uh, the witness was driving Route 43 near the Monagahela, Monagahela River. Uh, when he noticed a large flying creature in the sky. He initially thought it was a low-flying aircraft, but then he soon realized that the wings were flapping. Uh, he described it as looking more like a giant bat than a bird and described the wings as appearing to have a membrane stretched across bones the way that a bat would, and that as it flew overhead, there was some amount of light penetration from the sky that you could see through the sort of the membrane of the wings. Um, he claimed the wingspan filled the width of the road again, which was estimated at about 20 feet, 
and there were apparently other witnesses that stopped to view the creature along the road, uh, one of whom had a camera. I haven't seen any alleged photos of the incident surface, but this is four sightings in the span of less than a year of some sort of giant winged creature. Um, that are, There are differences uh, in the sightings, obviously, but there are some consistencies as well. So uh, it flies, and it may or may not be bird-like, given the descriptions, but I will certainly keep my eyes peeled for more information. The village square stands quiet, the curfew still in force. The streets are even clear of dogs and whores. Like some evil bird of prey, the scaffold spreads its wings. The people build their fires and bolt their doors. And the mayor is giving dinner to the officers and wives. His eldest son is learning how to fawn. The barrack block is hushed and tense, the soldiers drawing lots. Who will be the hangman in the dawn? On a young man who has served for but a year His home is in the village close nearby He shivers at the thought of what he's forced to do next day He wonders who it is that has to die And the full moon casts a cold light on the gloomy prison walls the papist walks his cell, he cannot sleep He hears the waiting gallows creaking just beyond that door He prays for he has no more tears to weep The day begins to break, the muffled drums begin to sound The crowd begins to gather in the square of the hangman in his terrifying mask weighs heavy on the minds of all those there. The colonel reads the sentence which the papist knows by heart. He has failed to show allegiance to the king. His crime is thus with God himself, in his name he must hang. The papist head held high says now the thing. The jailer binds his hands and puts the blindfold to his eyes. He leads him through the door before the crowd. The hangman sees his victim and the blood drains from his face. He sees his younger brother standing proud. To protest, but is ordered to proceed. His trembling hands begin to take the strain. His eyes are blind with streaming tears. He cries for all to hear. Forgive me, God, we hang him in thy name. Forgive me, God, we hang him in thy name. Forgive me, God, we hang him in thy name. Please forgive me, God, we hang him in my name. Forgive. 
in thy name. Men 
not the body of Christ. Disgrace with the Chasm. Um, before that, this is Heresy from Christian Death, and opening it up was the Hangman and the Papist from Blood Axis. If you would like to get in touch, send an opinion, story, uh, recommendation, uh, or anything about the show, the email address is professor at spookatorium.org, or you can go to the website at spookatorium.org and uh, leave comments on the blog. Uh, There's usually some additional stories up there. And, of course, links to all of the uh, information that's in the show. It would be most appreciated. Watch your head as you enter the Spookatorium attic where ghosts and goblins play and the paranormal presses its face against the window of our world. Bye.
I wrestled with finding a good third story for this episode, but my attention has been spread over a bit more general research, and I'm having a hard time nailing something down. Uh, my initial thought was to do something on demonology, uh, but there's a lot to distill down to just a couple of minutes for the show. Uh, my personal take is that to call yourself a demonologist is to admit to a bias right up front, and thus I have to question whatever it is that you're putting forward. The, the term itself is loaded with preconceptions and assumptions, and to label something a demon ascribes it a religious and immediately negative light. Uh, I'm not sure that that's a judgment that can ever be determined to be accurate, and I'm not sure who's objectively qualified to even make that judgment. Um, in looking into it, I found a great article by noted parapsychologist and mentalist uh, Lloyd Auerbach from last year on the subject that I think summarizes my take on it more or less pretty well. Um, I'll link to that in the notes. Uh, but to say that an experience is demonic is to say that it is evil, but evil is subjective. And in this case, further subjected to the parameters of, of faith whether it be Hindu or a Christian or whatever it might be, demons are the dark forces within the context of whatever faith is framing them. But what's evil to one faith may not be evil to another. And to wrap an experience that is this, in, in this loaded terminology of, of demonic is to dilute and distort it from the very start. Which brings me to the ideas of, of skepticism and belief. It, you know, if you've read the about page on the Spookatorium website, then you saw that I, I sit sort of in the no man's land between these two sides. Uh, I've had experiences that have confounded me, but I wouldn't say that I'm a believer, and I wouldn't say that I'm a non-believer. Um, I'm one of the curious who simply wants to learn what I can and understand that it's likely I'll never be convinced either way. The problem that I have when reviewing the skeptical material is that these people aren't just doubters or unconvinced. They're often smugly convinced that they're right. And that's not a position of curiosity and learning. It's a position of resolve. And in that, they're not skeptics, but instead they're non-believers, which is fine. But by definition, a skeptic is one who questions and doubts, not dictates and defies. Uh, on the other hand, the zealots can be just as discouraging, ascribing significant meaning to the most dubious thing and choosing to accept without much discretion or study. Uh, one thing a lot of the paranormal sites out there have in common is the abundance of marketing on their sites, whether it's for books, uh, gadgets like uh, EMF detectors and whatnot, uh, conferences, ghost hunting gatherings. Well, what they don't have much of it is uh, methodical documentation, case studies that don't read like short stories, background on method methodology. Um, the poor quality of information and the general presentation of these sites, which is almost universally crap, leads me to think that the idea and the camaraderie of the pursuit is more important to them than the pursuit itself. I mean, I understand that quantifying the unknown is no easy task. How do you measure what you can't define? Um, but I'd be interested in, in hearing feedback from anybody out there that's listening uh, that you might have on the matter, uh, the belief versus skepticism, what the gray area is there, uh, opinions on quality of evidence, how you view the ideas um, that are even under consideration within the field of paranormal research. 
the more that I look into it, the more I feel like it's a lot of people going through the motions on both sides of the argument. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of actual thinking and genuine investigation going on. So um, this is a call for opinions. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can email me at professor at spookatorium.org. Um, you can also go to the blog at spookatorium.org and leave a comment uh, on the show notes there. Um, but I'm interested. The, the paranormal is becoming more and more ingrained into popular culture because of all the different TV shows that are on there, and groups are popping up more because of that. And I'm not convinced that we're getting any more genuine research from that population than we ever have. Um, so if anybody has any thoughts on that, I would love to hear them and uh, may share them on the show.
All right, that is about going to do it. Uh, the last track there was uh, Jaws of the Lion from Old Man Gloom. Before that, Feel the Anguish from Noise Unit. And opening that up was Helltier with Doubtful Origins. Uh, underneath the yapping today was uh, Macbeth from Leibach. And um, once again, if you want to get in touch, uh, it's professor at spookatorium.org. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Hopefully some of you are still around after the long delay. And uh, I should be back on track here pretty soon with regular shows once again. Uh, wrapping it up today is going to be GGFH with Secret Friend. Look, dude, I saw it right there in front of me. I poked at it with a stick. Shot 
right there in front of me. I poked at it with the stick. No. 